This podcast is brought to you by FormKeep. Form endpoints for designers and developers. No iframes, JavaScript embeds, or CSS overrides. Try out our sandbox mode before you buy at formkeep.com. So, yeah, I was saying I was uh, listening to BuildFace, which resumed this week. It's a podcast about iOS development and design. And baseball. Uh, not, not design. Wait, what am I talking about? <laughs> I, I think it's just iOS development. And baseball. Mark actually, Mark actually has good design skills, but they don't talk about design. And baseball, yeah, the part that I typically skip. See, that's the part that I listen to. I listen to like the first 10 minutes and I get the baseball information and then I leave. Okay. Or you should just, <laughs> once you move to Austin, you should start a sports ball. Sports ball podcast? Podcast, you and Gordon. Maybe have Mark join. Maybe. Yeah, so, that, so that you keep all of our podcasting endeavors free of baseball talk. Or uh, we, could but anyways, just, we could just talk yeah. about baseball on all of the podcasts. No, no, that's not the target audience. And I was mentioning that I was listening to it to see how the competition goes, right? And you said they're not our competition. And I said they are because anyone who's not me is competition. But that's that's a lie. <laughs> Why? Because most people who listen to podcasts listen to multiple podcasts. So in fact, the more people that listen to podcasts, the better off we'd be. Mm, the job yes. to be done isn't I want to listen to one podcast from Rada. <laughs> it's usually yeah. like I'm in my car commuting and I want some sort of entertainment or like there, I guess we are somewhat competing, but I would say that like we're more competing against radio or music or something else as opposed to another podcast. Because my guess is most people listen to many podcasts as opposed I to just one. I don't care about all of this. I don't care. Like, this is just too much logic. I just follow my heart and my heart wants to believe that everyone else is competing. So that's how I work. Without competition, See, I'm pretty much useless. I just want to be friends with everyone. Why can't we all be just be oh, friends? Oh, no, no, no. It's, uh, Download to me, all like, of the Thought Pop uh, no, podcasts. No, no. I think you're just, you didn't get what I'm trying to say. I can be <laughs> friends with my competitors. That's what you don't get. In fact, my biggest competitors were used to be my best friends. So I guess because I don't have any siblings. So maybe that's why. We're reaching back into the psychology. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a psychology childhood. thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not having siblings makes you think of everyone as a competing cool. Can but, I be Freud? Yeah. You can be whoever you want. You can be Kyle Fiedler too. Yeah, but he's not a famous psychologist. He will be one day once he's done doing design. Like most designers don't do design indefinitely. Like they reach a certain age and they switch careers. They become philosophers or actors or singers. That sounds kind of depressing though. I don't want to switch from <laughs> design. <laughs> Why? Because I like it. You want to be like doing CSS until like you're like 55 or... See, I, I feel like the older you get, the more personal style you can have as a designer. Like I feel like the older you get, you start getting... You can actually pull off round frame glasses. So I'm waiting <laughs> for the age at which I can pull off round frame glasses as a designer. Yeah. Why? <laughs> we can do that now. What's preventing you? No, I can't. I haven't earned the right yet. Of the round frame glasses and uh, you either go the, like the Steve Jobs route and you go with like the black turtleneck and the jeans, the dad jeans, 
or you go the way of the like art director, creative director, where you wear like these, I guess, dad jeans as well, darker dad <laughs> jeans with a sport coat with the elbow pads or a blue blazer and a t-shirt underneath. Like, I feel like those are the directions that you go in when you become an older designer. You also become grumpier. Right. You only <laughs> use five typefaces. Or is that just me? <laughs> I'm just describing uh, Massimo Vignelli now. At any rate, how, how have you been? How's your week been? It's been pretty fine. I've been doing a lot of web design this week, like web design implementation. So, you know, like SVG. And I haven't touched that in a while. I just realized that I've been doing a lot more iOS. And then whenever I go back to CSS land, it's like a roller coaster of like feelings. Like at first, like, yeah, this is great. And then it's like, no, this is not great. And then you just come in terms with things and and you just start doing work. I found some struggles at first, like with, do you want to talk about this? <laughs> what else will we talk about? Uh, I don't know. Because I'm just going to be, again, like, I'm going to be like, are you going to just go on a rant for a half hour? And Pretty then... much. I feel, I feel like I segued into a rant without much effort this uh, should, time. Can I go get more coffee then? Like, I'll, <laughs> no, I'll leave no, you no, here. Not, I'll go get a, a cup of coffee and no, no, no. come uh, back. There were some good things and some not so good things. But yeah, I guess it's more like things are hard to do on the web. And whenever I go back to do web design, I just, I'm reminded of that. A lot of the things that are easier to do say in ios i would spend a lot more time trying to get right on the web and especially like you know with responsive design and all of that so what happened is that i i designed a mock-up in sketch and i decided this time specifically to not think about implementation and to focus on the visual side and that came back to <laughs> to bite me because i found that some parts could have been a lot easier if designed differently but then just i was my stubbornness got the best of me so yeah summary i spent a little bit more time than i wanted on the implementation i got that done like yesterday or two days ago a little bit of polishing here and there that took another day like just polishing pushing a pixel here and fixing this padding there that stuff really takes time, the final tweaks. So yeah, that was that. I did some things that I think I want to do more of, like uh, using SVG in web design. I think it's really cool. I'm happy that we're at a point when actually you can use SVG without worrying too much about having PNG fallbacks and all that. I mean, I know some browsers don't support it, but seriously, if you're using a browser that doesn't support SVG, you don't deserve looking at good websites. So... <laughs> deal with it <laughs> and we have to deal with it jeff yep i can throw that into the show notes yep. also the glass case of emotion <laughs> gif <laughs> because gif, you're... whatever i call it jeff no we're not going to come back to this this was like episode yeah. two or three so whatever i think we always have this argument at any rate i was going to say that yeah css isn't really meant for design which kind of sucks but I have actually had a lot of frustration this week with SVG because I've been using SVG as well. And while it's awesome because I don't have to worry about retina versions or, or scaling images, I find it's like almost there, but not quite there. Like I tried to do some animations on SVG and it doesn't act the same way as like a regular HTML element. Using CSS? Yes. No, I haven't tried that. I don't think it works the same way. 
Right. I haven't actually ever tried the uh, smell or whatever they're called. S M I L. Is it is it pronounced smell animations? Do you I, know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. It's uh, SVG has its own, I think, standard for animation. Yeah. It's a subspec, I think, or I don't know if like subspec exists as a word, but it's part of the spec. I don't know the status of that, but I'm just basically commenting on the point that it doesn't behave like standard HTML elements. And I think that's by design. I don't think that's a bug or an accident. Yeah, but that's not my intended. Like, <laughs> I, I wish it did. I hopefully they, they have reasons for that and I just haven't looked into them. But the other reason I was annoyed with SVG is because there's no good way to make an SVG. Illustrator adds a lot of extra cruft to it and the SVG export in Sketch is also quite, pretty terrible. So I agree. My workflow for this, and we had a whole SVG episode with Brenda, but my, my workflow now with this is like, I go in and I like have to remove all of that cruft and it's just like a pain. So there's no software that I know about that'll export an SVG in a clean way. Yeah. I think Sketch does a worse job than like uh, other software like Affinity and things like that maybe Illustrator. I don't know, but it, uh, I feel like the code they export is not great. And I do a similar thing where basically I just keep exporting the SVG as I'm working on it. And I don't, I don't try to modify it until I'm happy with the way it looks. And then I first like minify it. And sometimes I just also like go and change things by hand. If the shape is not complicated enough, not the values, but like add an ID or a class or move this out of a group, etc. So I, sometimes I do those things manually. Actually, I have a really good tip. Uh, there's an app called uh, Gaplin on OS X. I think it's free. It's an SVG previewer. Oh, that's pretty cool. And it works pretty much like Markov or Sasquatch, but it's for SVG. The reason I haven't done one for SVG is because Gaplin exists. So I open the SVG in Gaplin and you just edit in your text editor and you save and it automatically refreshes on that thing. So it's really cool. I've been using that a lot in this in this design, just playing with values and sometimes like cleaning up some things and see if that affects the uh, final results. And also like Sketch is limited in a lot of ways. So for instance, if you have a lot of layers and you want to export only some of those layers in an SVG slice, I haven't figured out a way to do it yet without having to either copy them or hide one of those layers. So what I do is I export that slice and then I open it in the text editor and I go and delete the objects I don't need. And then I preview them in Gaplin and see if they work fine or not. And then that's how I do it basically. Yeah, I think that app that you just, Gaplin, it sounds really awesome. And I'd certainly, I'll download it after this episode. And we'll put a link yep. to it in the show notes. Because I've had that need, like, <laughs> my process is like, reloading it in the browser and making sure it still works there. Yeah, that's not ideal. Right. Yeah, you can also set Gaplin as the default app to open SVG. So you can just double click them and they open, you can see them, you can also preview them. But I guess that that's also possible without it. But still, it's good to have that. And it has the same, you can also like open it and click an edit button and it opens your editor. So pretty much it works exactly like Markov and the two other apps I worked on, which is just preview and allow me to interact with the editor. Cool. 
So in Sublime, you can actually set custom builds. And I set a custom build for SVG so that if I'm viewing an SVG document in Sublime, if I hit Command B, it automatically opens it in Gaplin. Nice. So, and in Gaplin, you can also do Command E and it would automatically open it in Sublime. So like going back and forth become one shortcut away. I, I like this workflow for a lot of things, for SVG, Markdown, SAS. It saves you a lot of trouble of having to have a browser to look at those things. So animation, I think, yeah, it's it's not great in SVG as it is right now, at least not the way, the way that we're trying to use it. So I noticed that if you change, for instance, opacity, like fill opacity, you would not animate if you use CSS transitions. Yeah, or maybe there are a I'm bunch of things wrong. that like yeah. the animation just works really weirdly with it interacts weirdly with the SVG. But you know what I've used and I'm I'm really impressed that I actually was able to use it. You can actually set blending modes in SVG. Uh-huh, and nice. I used the blending mode to add a purple overlay on photos of people. So it doesn't look like just hey, here's a translucent purple background. It's actually really well like, you know, blended with the image. So it looks really nice. Obviously, it won't work in a lot of browsers, but it's fine. It's not going to affect the user experience. Mm-hmm. So if you have it, that's nice. If you don't, that's all right. <laughs> and also masks. I'm also like I had these like hexagons and I could have done them with CSS and borders, but that's super hacky. Actually, not borders, but like transforms. So you just nest the image like three layers deep and you transform it like three times. So you rotate it 45 and then you rotate it the 45 and the other degree and then you rotate it another 45 and the other degree and then you rotate all of it so that it's upright and you actually end up with a hexagon. But it's super like convoluted and I don't like convoluted things. So I just use SVG in a mask and you can inline SVG and change the photo URL. So... Yeah, I saw up. I saw you doing that. That, that to me is like <laughs> really amazing, and it, it's amazing how far we've come with SVG because yep. CSS is slowly turning into more of a design language. Well, SVG is not really CSS, though. It's a That's different true. thing. In fact, I think I I like this because I think CSS is limited, and it should probably stay limited and delegate this other cool stuff to other technologies like SVG or Canvas or I don't know, like these other things that you can use alongside CSS. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how all of this evolves over time. Yeah, I think I'm pretty optimistic for SVG at least because it's not something new. Like it's been around for a long time and I'm glad that people finally are realizing its usefulness. So yeah, that's a good thing. I also like Flexbox. I mean, not really, really, really like, but on a scale of 0 to 10, 10 being I really like this, I would give it a solid 7 or 8. <laughs> That's pretty good in my scale. The more that I've used Flexbox, the more that I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty all right. That and being able to use the calc function in CSS are both like unbelievably amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, calc is really good too. I agree. I had this discussion today with my colleagues here in Stockholm about grids, neat, flexbox, and like how we do layout today. And it was a really interesting discussion. Like the gist of it was that I personally stopped using grids. And I think that as much as I 
like grids. I think they're a foreign object in web design. They came from print and we try to force them onto web design, but their usefulness is limited because like, you know, the pages are very tall and the vertical alignment of things matters a lot less because most of the time you're looking at one section or just one portion of it. So it's not like print where you see the whole, like, you know, the entire page and you can clearly notice when things are not properly aligned. Uh, what do you think about this topic? I enjoy having the whole array of tools. So being able to use floating and inline block and flexbox all together just because I like being able to pick out what's going to be best for the, that situation. Also, not every browser. There, there have been cases where, where I've needed to support a browser that doesn't support Flexbox. So going back to neat. I understand where you're, where you're getting at with not using a grid for web design. Yeah. I do think that a lot of what we're working on doesn't necessarily need an explicit grid. And where a grid really shines is when there's a lot of typography, a lot of content. And a lot yeah. of the things that we're designing have minimal amount of typography or they're just chunks. And what we're usually designing is something that's more interactive. So in that case, you know, you're probably still using a lot of the things that are involved in the grid, which like using alignment and having some sort of vertical rhythm and some sort of horizontal rhythm. But my guess is you don't need to have an explicit 12 column grid because you have like one column of content here, which is maybe in navigation and then a center column of content. And then you kind of go on your way. Yeah. I feel like grids belong to print design because pages used to be shown at full at any moment and things had to be aligned vertically because you can see all of it. But on websites, most of the time it's a long, tall page and you're mostly looking at one section. So that vertical alignment matters a lot less in that case. Right. But the vertical rhythm still matters as you go down to down the page having some sort of repetitive information. I think it still matters, but but you're right. It's not. It doesn't matter the same way it does in print where the page as a whole, you're looking at the design as a whole, whereas on the web, you could be looking at, you know, a desktop size screen and it could be half of the page or you could look at a mobile size screen and you could see an eighth of the screen. Yeah. And you have no idea what, what's going to be in between. So yeah, Flexbox is a good thing. As I mean, it's not perfect and it doesn't do all the things sometimes you want to do, but I think it's a lot, lot better than dealing with floats as far as I am concerned. I agree. I mean, floats were never meant for what we use them for, right? They were meant right. for having an image inside of text to float it to the left so that you can have, or to the right so that the text will wrap around it. At least that's my assumption there. Yeah. So those are two thumbs up from me. You know, that's that's a record. That's, uh, that is a very, very, very good. Well, let's go to the thumbs down. Hamel, what the hell? <laughs> why, why are we using that thing? It's, it's a pain in the back. You mean a it's, pain in the neck? It's a pain everywhere. <laughs> that thing was the thing I spent most time trying to figure out. 
how do I put an SVG here? All right, I'm gonna read this like a bunch of Ruby code to understand how to do that. How do I do a, you know, a new line and make sure that stuff still works? Oh, I've gotta do a slash and like a pipe or whatnot. Seriously, it's just, it makes things really hard if you don't use it on a daily basis. Like I haven't touched Hamel for like three, four years, I guess. Well, no, not three, four years. I think the last one was, um, well, I think it was. I was still in Boston, so yeah, it's, it's quite a long time ago. And that's more than three years ago. I was lost. I was. I often like write, for instance, like uh, section without the percent sign, and I forget that it requires the percent sign, and then I would reload the page, and it would. Yeah. You know, it would. It would like. Oh, this is. Oh. Like, uh, wait, I thought this was about minimalism. Why do I need a goddamn percent sign? So I put the percent sign and then I realized there's another issue with indentation. Oh, this is indented two levels deep. All right, now instead of focusing on design, I've got to focus of, you know, I've got to focus on, you know, how many lines are this indented or I don't like this at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't have the same issues. I was also not, you know, doing any masking with SVG. So I don't, I didn't have... The complexity in your design. That was the least of my concern. I was struggling with how to do like stuff inside links, for instance. And I just because I'm not familiar with it and mm. I'm more familiar with just, you know, doing stuff like in HTML in ERB. Uh, or ERB. But like even ERB, it's not intuitive in the sense that anyone would be able to pick it up without uh, looking at examples. But for some things like nesting elements and stuff like that, I feel like HTML is far more superior. Like relying on indentation to do that stuff, I feel is already like on the makes it on the, you know, on the losing side of things as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And anyways, I had a lot of issues with Hamel. I think now I'm better at, at it just by copying, pasting stuff from other pages. But I definitely had issues with it. I don't have issues with it. And that could be because I've used it in a few projects. The ThoughtBot website for the longest time has been in Hamel because the designers who did it a while ago just did it in Hamel and we didn't refactor any of that code. Yeah. Hamel was, I think, was designed by uh, Ruby developers. It's very clear from from the way it works that it was done by a developer who did not want to write HTML. And, you know, at some point, like, Ruby developers wanted to write everything as Ruby, so... We had CoffeeScript, we had Hamel, we had SAS, not the SCSS version, but the SAS version. And well, two, two of those are not as popular anymore. So we only have Hamel left and I think it's going to go away eventually. You think CoffeeScript is on its way out? I, I don't feel it's as popular as it used to be. I mean, there are still people who use it, but I've, most of the people I talked to recently do not want to use it anymore or stopped using it. So yeah, I definitely feel that, especially like outside the Rails circles, it's totally not a thing anymore. Yeah, I don't know if Hamel ever got popular outside of the Rails circles. No, no, it didn't, but I'm surprised that it's still around. I think it's going to go the way of the Dodo as well. I mean, the the benefit to having Hamel is that it looks so much cleaner in Rails code. When you're doing loops in your views or any kind of open-ended rails stuff it looks a lot nicer yeah but that's you're paying a, a big price for that and you know what what's what's that big price you can't copy paste html directly into a haml file the same way we decided to drop the sas indented syntax because we want something that's just 
valid CSS and that can be built upon. Hamel is in the same situation where it just it locks you into this like word of Hamel, and it, it makes it hard to reuse components. It makes it hard to do a lot of things. Yeah, I would say it just makes it harder because it's not close to the same syntax. Like the reason that we use SCSS instead of SASS, it was because it was a lot closer to the original syntax and someone jumping in from CSS could really pick up SCSS fairly quickly. Whereas you can't do that with SAS. It's not as quick. It doesn't look as familiar. And the same thing goes for Hamel. It is like, Hamel is, doesn't look like HTML. It looks like its own language. And, and so therefore, it, it is harder to pick up. But do you know, do you have an idea why we dropped indented SAS and we're still using Hamel? I don't think we ever used indented SAS. Or at least I've never used it. I think it was popular at some point. It was the, the default. Like people used only that, I think around 2010, 11. Everyone was using that, in the Rails community at least. We weren't. <laughs> I well, wasn't. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I feel like the, the reason for that is because I was writing the styles and I felt a lot more comfortable than in SCSS because it looked a lot more like CSS. I do think a lot of it is a comfort thing. I, I, I mean, for the longest time, I was against using Haml because of the same reasons that we're talking about, but... I also think that there are some good uses for Hamel. Once you've yeah, used very it... very few. Uh, <laughs> the thing is you're paying the, the price and it, the thing is once you have it, you're going to stick to it. And I feel that's too much high of a price to pay. Yeah, just the same way I actually am I'm, I'm dropping CoffeeScript as well. So whenever I have to make a decision, I go with JavaScript right now because I feel like... It's just another thing, another layer, and it's just another thing you have to get familiar with. It's better to know the, to know how to do the thing the way it was supposed to be done and just stick to it. That makes it a lot easier for you on the long run. Like you will lose a little bit of, you know, those things that you cited as uh, strengths of Hamel or CoffeeScript or any of those in the short term, but on the long term, you benefit more from those because they don't deprecate as fast and you can still reuse a lot of it. Whereas like if you keep changing these kind of like abstractions over and over, at some point it's a lot of that code you will have won't be reusable as, as is. You will have to convert it first to something reusable. Yeah. I think you, you haven't heard most of, of this, but it's fine. <laughs> you it's are cutting right. in and out. You know what? I think we should wrap up. Okay. Thank you all for listening. You can find our show notes at tentative.fm slash 27. You can tweet us at tentative.fm and email us at host at tentative.fm. And if you liked our show, please rate us on iTunes. That's, that's kind of how we get the word out. Tell your friends. Tell your family. I tell your dog. <laughs> tell your dog. Your cat. Tell your favorite baseball team. No, I don't have any. Well, we can change that. No, we won't. Uh, Thank you, everyone, just, for listening. Just wait until you come come over. All right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>